Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to this Wednesday episode of Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Happy to be with you again today. Did you listen to the governor's press conference? Did you hear what he and state epidemiologist Dr. Angela Dunn had to say, uh, along with uh, those young students from Enterprise High School, the ones that stood up to the adults that were calling for a no-mask Monday protest? Uh, pretty good stuff all around. Uh, the, the, the real nitty-gritty details uh, were, were exceptional. When we look at our trajectory in terms of numbers, in terms of our uh, seven-day rolling case count, uh, we're in good shape. We are in good shape. And that uh, is attributed, at least by Governor Gary Herbert, uh, to our adherence and understanding of personal responsibility. Let's stay the course, and uh, maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day, you and I will be rid of this nasty virus. Later on in the program, we're going to be speaking about the timeline for a vaccine. The, the governor mentioned uh, a vaccine and how what we are up to right now is really just buying ourselves time until uh, we can use that kryptonite against uh, against this coronavirus. So what's the timeline look like? Uh, one of your congressmen, Representative Curtis, he has sent a letter uh, demanding some information about how the vaccine, once made available, will be prioritized, how it will be distributed, who will get it first. We'll dive into that and also see what a member of the Utah Department of Health, specifically the immunization program manager, has to say about a timeline. Exciting stuff on the vaccine front. We'll get to that. Uh, but not before you and I have a quick conversation here about night two of the Republican convention. Uh, there was a long list of speakers. Uh, yesterday, we went into great detail. We looked at a number of the different speeches. Uh, today, though, at least in terms of what has caught my attention, uh, we're going to focus on one speech in particular, that which was delivered by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Why focus on that one? Well, because it, it ends up being a, a bit controversial. Not, not the content of the speech itself, but simply its existence. And the fact that it was delivered uh, during the convention, a, a political event, uh, no doubt about it. And Mike Pompeo, he delivered this speech, or at least he recorded it, uh, from Jerusalem, with the backdrop of the old city of Jerusalem there. And, uh, well, there are those who are accusing the Secretary of State of being in violation of the Hatch Act. Yeah, the, the Hatch Act. That is a, uh, a law which has been on the books for, for a long, long time. And honestly, it's really only been since the dawn of the Trump administration that we have really come to learn uh, about the, the details, at least broadly, of 
the Hatch Act. I can remember a few years ago there was an offhanded comment made on maybe Fox News or something by Kellyanne Conway where she was talking about or at least encouraging people to go buy uh, Ivanka Trump's uh, handbags or makeup or something like that. And, uh, and there was all this uproar about that's a violation of the Hatch Act. And it is circumstances and situations like that that send me directly to Google, where I uh, quickly uh, got up to speed on exactly what uh, the Hatch Act allows for, uh, who is exempt, and what it is designed to do. And it's really designed very basically uh, to prohibit uh, government officials from using their position to forward uh, a political ambition, either one held by themselves uh, or on behalf of someone else. And so... Was Mike Pompeo's presence in Jerusalem while they're on official State Department business, uh, while, according to him, during his personal time, recording a, a message to be delivered during the convention, again, no doubt about it, a political event, uh, was, that, was that out of line? Was it inappropriate? I, I want to share with you in just a moment some of what the Secretary of State did, in fact, say. Because regardless of whether or not uh, it is a violation of the Hatch Act or not, or if it was inappropriate or not, uh, that there still were words delivered, right? You can't undo what was said, and so it's important to, to walk through that. But I'd also like to have a conversation with you. How do you interpret this whole deal? Was the Secretary of State out of line? Should he have participated? And after the break, I want to open up the phone lines to you. The number is 801-575-8255. That's 801 801- Five seven five talk. I want you on the line. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to know how you uh, respond to this. And the question, as I asked myself, uh, should he have been a part of last night's convention? And the way I see it, uh, it's yes and no. Yes, well, because despite all the Democrats saying that this sort of move is unprecedented and that no other Secretary of State has participated in a convention like this, that that is no reason. Uh, to shackle yourself to the traditions of the past. <laughs> Nothing about the Trump administration has followed precedent or the ways of the past. From the very beginning, it's been about testing boundaries and pushing limits. And this is no different. Officials are allowed personal time while on official business. Believe me, I have sat through countless ethics seminars while I worked for the federal government. As much as Democrats would like to invoke the Hatch Act uh, into Pompeo's participation here, uh, I, I don't exactly see it. Now, on the other hand, uh, I would say uh, no, there is an argument uh, against him participating. First off, because uh, the, the constraints, the legal constraints on what he can say uh, are, are, pretty, are pretty strict. All right? That means the speech uh, wasn't that great. In fact, let's, let's get into it real quick here. Uh, first off, I see it was a short speech, about three minutes. All right, so then there's the question of was, the, was three minutes even worth it? Uh, but let's get into what he actually said, and I'll share uh, some of what I perceive to be a, a good argument as to why maybe he should not have uh, delivered the speech. But the speech itself, he started uh, by talking about China. In China, he's pulled back the curtain on the predatory aggression of the Chinese Communist Party. The president has held China accountable for covering up the China virus and allowing it to spread death and economic destruction in America and around the world. And he will not rest until justice is done. He has ensured that the Chinese Communist Party spies posing as diplomats in America are jailed or sent back to China. And he has ended the ridiculously unfair trade arrangement with China, 
that punched a hole in our economy. Those jobs, those jobs are coming back home. Now, this, the Secretary of State here, he did participate in a political event, but were his words political? All right. I don't know if you heard anything political in that first segment. Now I want you to listen to the Secretary of State talking about North Korea and listen to it through this lens. Try to ask yourself as you hear these words, is there anything political about this? The Secretary of State continues, this time talking about North Korea. In North Korea, the president lowered the temperature and against all odds got the North Korean leadership to the table. No nuclear tests, no long-range missile tests, and Americans held captive in North Korea came home to their families as did the precious remains of scores of heroes who fought in Korea. Today, today because of President Trump, NATO was stronger, Ukraine has defensive weapon systems, and America left a harmful treaty so our nation can now build missiles to deter Russian aggression. No mention of the Republican Party. No mention of the Democratic Party. No mention of Joe Biden. No mention of politics. Aside from this being delivered in a unquestionably political setting and context, the Republican convention, the speech itself, I do not observe politics. Am I right or am I wrong? Get on the phone. Talk to me next. 801-575-8255. 801-575-TALK. That's the number. Quick break. When we come back, more on Pompeo and your calls ahead. Welcome back. I am Lee Lonsberry. Second segment of today's program. We are continuing our attention uh, that we are paying to the address last night, just about three minutes long, uh, delivered via video recording by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Quick bit of trivia. Uh, do you know which secretary, which number? How many Secretary of State's secretaries of state? What's the plural? Okay. Uh, there's attorneys general. There's sisters-in-law. Right. Uh, attor- uh, secretaries of state. He is the 70th uh, Secretary of State. Fun fact. He, last night, during the uh, during night two, of the Republican convention uh, delivered this three-minute uh, address. We, before the break there, we walked through about half of what he had to say, and in a moment, I want you to hear the rest of it uh, f- for a number of reasons. First off, I, I think the information is very relevant, and I think it's important to be reminded of it, uh, information. And, and I use that word information deliberately because you have heard, I am sure, Uh, much of the controversy surrounding whether or not it was okay that he last night delivered these remarks. As it was, he was in Jerusalem on official business, and it was while there that this uh, address was recorded. There are those who are accusing the Secretary of State of uh, being in violation of the Hatch Act. Now, there is an important distinction to make. There is the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. I think that most interpretations of his behavior uh, show that, no, in fact, it's not a violation of the letter of the Hatch Act or the letter of the law. But there may be, there may be a certain element of the spirit of the law which has been violated. And then it's up to you to decide uh, if, if that matters. You know, the, the letter of the law is very important. You can go to jail for violating the letter of the law, uh, but violating the spirit of the law, uh, that's usually what leads to uh, changes in the law itself and not necessarily punishment uh, for you. Okay, in, in the segment prior, I, I asked the question, should he, been, should he have been a part of last night's convention? I can see both sides. I am more so leaning uh, on the side of yes, yes, uh, it, it was okay. Yes, I uh, don't have a problem 
uh, with the Secretary of State. I don't view his participation as some uh, egregious abuse of power. Uh, I don't believe that uh, he was leveraging his position to bring about uh, this or that. I think that he uh, was well within the letter of the law. And I say that because uh, the, the, the largest and the loudest arguments against uh, have been that this is an unprecedented move. And that in history, no other secretaries of state have participated in a convention like this. Well, to that I say, <laughs> that means nothing, you know. Precedents are broken all the time. We stray from the norm all the time. And nothing, nothing about the Trump administration has followed precedent or the ways of the past. Uh, from, from the very beginning, it's been about testing boundaries and pushing limits. All right? And that may make you uncomfortable, uh, but for some of you, myself included, uh, I like exploring this new territory. And, and this is really no different. There is an entire office uh, of legal advisors within the State Department. And the State Department has assured all those who have inquired that four teams of lawyers, including the State Department's legal counsel, that they have reviewed the speech which we have listened to uh, in part, and we'll get to the rest of it in just a moment, that that speech has been reviewed and that all four of those legal teams uh, have given forth the assurance that there have been no ethical lines crossed. All right? According to these legal teams, the delivery of this speech is well within the letter of the law. And I don't have any problem uh, with folks exploring uh, the, what is available to them within the letter of the law. We may uh, discover from time to time that the law might need to be changed a bit. And, and maybe that'll happen. Maybe here that'll happen. Maybe there will be uh, some piece of legislation introduced, likely uh, in the Democrat House, that prohibits something. And it is very specific uh, to, to this speech. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I, I guess that that's pretty likely uh, as Joaquin Castro, uh, chairman of the subcommittee on oversight and investigations within the House Foreign Affairs Committee, has put forth a, a letter uh, to the deputy secretary of state asking for an explanation as to, uh, you know, how this type of behavior is OK, especially when and here is some ground I'll concede there was drafted by this same deputy secretary of state. A memo that went out about six months ago, effectively uh, prohibiting political activity. In fact, I'll read from you uh, the memo. It reads, this memorandum outlines the current restrictions on political activities that apply to all presidential and political appointees, including foreign service and civil service career employees serving in such position. This guidance reflects the provisions of the Hatch Act, government-wide regulations implementing the Act, and State Department policies. The department has a long-standing policy of limiting participation in partisan campaigns by its political appointees in recognition of the need for the U.S. government to speak with one voice on foreign policy matters. This here is speaking to uh, the spirit of things. And this document here, this memorandum, not legally binding, uh, but rather internally, internal policies of the State Department. And now this leads me to one acceptable argument that I'll consider as to why maybe it wasn't a great idea to have the Secretary of State participate as he did last night in the, the convention. 
first, I mentioned because of the ethical limitations, it resulted in a speech that it wasn't so great, right? Of all the speeches that you will hear over this week, and if you think back to last week were delivered, this one, in terms of his content, it's not really going to stand out, all right? And so, uh, for that reason, because of the constraints, maybe you forego it. And then second, no, because it has now become a distraction. Representative Castro uh, has sunk his teeth into this memo here that states internal State Department policy that employees uh, ought not be attending political conventions. And in terms of leadership, if you are going to self-impose rules like that, then they ought to be followed from the top down to the bottom. Additionally, it's a free headline fodder for the likes of Joaquin Castro, who's calling for oversight hearings into the matter, as well as sending letters to the Deputy Secretary of the State Department. This uh, is a distraction. And with all that said, uh, what, what, what did Pompeo actually have to say as he delivered his three minutes? Were they worth this headache and this distraction? Uh, just a few moments left before we have to take a break. I want you to hear the remainder uh, of the speech. And again, listen to it through uh, the lens of politics. Do you hear anything political here? Uh, next segment we'll hear uh, comes from Secretary of State as he delivered uh, the remarks just last night. Uh, he talks here about the, the Middle East, specifically uh, threats from Iran. In the Middle East, when Iran threatened, the president approved a strike to kill the Iranian terrorist Qasem Soleimani. This is the man most responsible for the murder and maiming of hundreds of American soldiers and thousands of Christians across the Middle East. And you'll recall, too, that when the president took office, radical Islamic terrorists had beheaded Americans, and ISIS controlled a territory in the size of, the size of Great Britain. Today, today, because of the president's determination and leadership, the ISIS caliphate is wiped out. It's gone. Its evil leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, is dead. And our brave soldiers, they're on their way home. I do appreciate hearing these things. I do appreciate them all packaged up into a uh, quick, concise three-minute delivery. Uh, was, it, was it the most effective place to deliver this information uh, or at least remind us of this information during the convention? I don't know. The Secretary of State concludes his remarks this way. The president exited the U.S. from the disastrous nuclear deal with Iran and squeezed the Ayatollah, Hezbollah, and Hamas. The president, too move the U.S. Embassy to this very city of God, Jerusalem, the rightful capital of the Jewish homeland. And just two weeks ago, the president brokered a historic peace deal between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. This is a deal that our grandchildren will read about in their history books. Tough call. Your politics will probably lead you to decide one way or another whether or not this speech was appropriate or not. I believe it was. I believe it exists within the letter of the law, and I appreciate the information delivered. I am glad it was delivered. Quick break. When we return, we're looking at vaccines, specifically a vaccine timeline. Who should get it first? And what is Representative Curtis doing about it? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.